is a podcast from Concern Worldwide, bringing you stories from some of the 25 countries we work in as humanitarians, the challenges communities are facing, some of the solutions and other bits in between. To find out more about Concern, visit concern.net. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Pod Worldwide. In this episode, we hear from Chad, where more than half a million people from Sudan have fled since the outbreak of the conflict there in April last year. The boot camp is truly enormous, and most, if not all, of the refugees there have come from Sudan. I immediately sensed its massive size as rows of houses stretched out as far as the eye can see. Why a mobile phone is essential for getting support to vulnerable communities in Somalia, you really, you know, the fact that you can be so fast, you can really count it in terms of human rights. And we delve into some of the less than pleasant social media comments Concern receives and get some answers. You know, we get an increasing number of these comments, particularly like as the narrative is kind of growing and playing up in Ireland. I'm your host, Ailish Staunton. First up, we go to Chad where conflict in neighbouring Sudan has been ongoing for more than nine months but has barely made the news, never mind the headlines. 7.4 million people have been forced from their homes in Sudan, more than any current conflict. Hundreds of thousands of people have crossed over the border from Sudan into Chad, a country itself amongst the poorest in the world. Concerns Eugene Kua has recently returned from a refugee camp on the border and sent this explainer. Hello everyone, my name is Eugene and I'm the regional mobile journalist for Concern, based in Nairobi, Kenya. My role mainly entails visiting the various program areas across the countries where our organization operates. During these visits, my focus is on gathering stories from the communities that we work with. We aim to spotlight those whose stories may often go unnoticed or underrepresented, allowing their voices to take center stage. Through this, I strive to offer a genuine portrayal of life as shared by the people that we work with acknowledging their experiences and perspectives with the respect and dignity that they deserve. In December 2023, I was fortunate to visit Chad, where at the moment there is a big humanitarian crisis unfolding because of the brutal violence that is a result of the conflict in neighbouring Sudan, which has forced people to flee their homes and migrate into other countries. Chad has been one of the countries that has taken in the most refugees. According to the latest data from UNHCR, Approximately 500,000 Sudanese refugees have sought safety in Chad. They are all in search of a secure environment where they can embark on the journey of restarting their lives. I visited Zabut refugee camp in Sela province, which is on the eastern part of the country on the border with Sudan. Zabut camp is truly enormous, and most, if not all, of the refugees there have come from Sudan. Upon our arrival at the camp, I immediately sensed its massive size as rows of houses stretched out as far as the eye can see. The camp is bustling with activities, with traders offering various household commodities, be it washing detergent, sugar, as well as food and fresh fruits. There are other traders involved in meat trading, particularly with goats, and others working as welders, fixing beds and various metal fixtures, which they then sell in the open market. I was also able to meet and speak with refugees who are volunteering and providing their time to assist in the health clinics such as the one funded by Concern. These are people who have had to restart their lives, and it goes to show how resilient they are 
months removed from the conflict in Sudan. I spent time with families who welcomed me to their homes to listen to their stories. I remember meeting Naila, a 20-year-old mother of two who was forced to flee Sudan and come to Chad. She tells me that since coming to the camp, she has been working at the concern clinic where she helps young mothers when they bring their babies to the clinic. She is able to guide them through the check-in process as well as facilitating some of the basic medical routines like temperature and weight checks. She is happy to be working with Concern because it gives her a purpose at the camp. It was truly admirable to witness her genuine enjoyment and passion for the job. I also met Zara, a mother of 10. When she came to Chad, she came with her children, but her husband was not able to join them. To this day, she does not know where her husband is, as there is no way of contacting each other. It is a reality that she has to grapple with every day, but it still does not deter her from providing for her children. Yunus, her 18-year-old son, has been keeping pigeons. He told me that he started by getting two pigeons and that he currently has four, which he is feeding with a goal of settling them in the market to raise money to provide for the family. He believes that the money he would make from selling the pigeons will enable him to purchase household commodities like sugar, cooking oil, and flour for his family. And that this will lessen the load that his mother has in supporting the family. I remember also meeting Bahar, who had a very unique story in that this is not the first time that conflict has affected him and his family. During the 2003-2004 war in Darfur, he had to escape and find refuge in the bushes, living there in fear of being shot or attacked by rebels for three long years. Astonishingly, he finds himself facing a similar situation two decades later. Despite the challenges, he managed to pick himself up back then, and now, with his young family, he believes in his ability to rise above adversity once again. Listening to these stories firsthand, hearing from families who have lost their loved ones during the journey from Sudan to Chad, and those who do not know the whereabouts of their dear ones is a profound experience. The uncertainty of whether they will ever reunite is a heavy burden that they carry. Yet, despite these heartbreaking circumstances, these families continue with their day-to-day -day activities out of sheer necessity. They must eat, survive, and provide for their families, a daunting task that they face every other day. My sincere hope is that the people in Sudan and Chad won't be forgotten. Although the world is grappling with multiple crises, it is crucial not to overlook the ongoing struggles faced by those in Chad. The humanitarian needs are pressing, and these families require urgent support in terms of food, shelter, clothing, and even psychosocial assistance. Their plight should not fade from our collective memory. Thanks to Eugene for that report. Eugene travels to many of the countries where concern works, so we'll be hearing more from him in the future. If you want to find out more about the human impact of the conflict in Sudan, you can find more information on the Concern website, concern.net. Next up, we go to items I can't do my job without, where we hear from concerned colleagues around the world on what object, big and small, is essential to their job. Alessandro Binney, 
or Ali to his friends, works for Concern in Somalia, where his job is to get cash to people living in remote and conflict-affected areas so they can buy food or whatever they need within their local communities. As Ali explains, the item that has improved hugely how they do that is probably something we all now couldn't live without. I'm joined by Alessandro Binney. He works for Concern in Somalia and based in Kenya. What do you work at for Concern? Concern is leading a consortium of six international NGOs, all working in Somalia, uh, all working on improving food security of vulnerable people in Somalia by delivering cash directly to beneficiaries. And I coordinate uh, the teams working on this. One of the items that really helps with this, getting cash out to people, what is that item? Mobile phones. It is actually fundamental for the work uh, that we do because it allows us to send cash to thousands of people and they all receive it immediately on their mobile phone. And as they receive it, they can use it right away. And it makes it very easy, very fast, uh, cheap. So it's really fundamental. When you say cash transfers, if you're in Ireland, we would think of something like Revolut. How does it work? Like, is there an app that's used? Is it a number? You know, if you have one of the smartphones, then you can download an app and it can be a bit more fancy. For us, uh, given that we tend to work with uh, very poor people who just had to leave behind everything they had, because there has been, for example, in the last three months, a lot of flooding. They lost their house, they lost everything, they ran away or more often in Somalia is related to conflict. Somalia, unfortunately, is still a conflict zone, some part of it. Generally, these people, they would be using the mobile phone, let's say, the first Nokia model. You know, the one where you could only phone and send SMS, and that was it. Yeah, no internet, no fancy stuff. So those are the most common phone that would be used by the people we work with. And they receive a very simple SMS message telling them, you have just received $20, you have just received $100. So the way people use the cash that they receive, they just send out a very simple text message followed by the phone number of the person they send the cash to. And that's it. The payment is done. In Somalia, this is very common. It's very widespread. Yeah, People can really use it in 90% of the shops. Digital money, really? It's very much digital money, which I know for some people might sound surprising as we talk about Somalia, probably the poorest country in the world. But actually on this particular sphere, it's very developed. You have very good mobile network, very good mobile coverage. And in particular, the cash transfer is very well run, is very well developed. And how has using mobile money made a difference to reaching people? It has made an incredible uh, difference. Before 10 years ago, all this assistance was delivered to people in uh, food. So you actually have to buy bags of rice, bags of flour. Uh, So you can only imagine the cost in terms of buying these things abroad shipping it to Somalia and deliver it to the different village. All of this in a place that has very poor road and several areas are still in conflict. So the cost was immense, the time delay, and it was very unsafe. 
Then from there, we move on to deliver cash, which was already a big step forward. But at the same time, in terms of security of the staff, security of the cash, security of the people, in a place that is unsafe, the last thing that you want is to tell 2,000 people, come in this place and we'll deliver you cash. So the next step was the use of mobile money. This means that we can send money to thousands of people. It makes it incredibly efficient. It makes it cheap. It makes it safe for people. They can receive it in their house without moving, so they don't need to go through checkpoints. Yeah, they may, may be manned by the army, but may be manned by rebel group. And with the food delivery, it could take months. With the cash transfer, it would take two to four weeks. With the mobile money, our current uh, delivery time is around 10 days. And in an emergency situation like that, means people will be able to eat and people will be able to get the things they need to replace what they've lost. You really, you know, the fact that you can be so fast, you can really count it in terms of human lives. That makes quite the difference. What is the security around doing this? Because, it's, you know, scams happen here in Ireland all the time. People saying, oh, hi, mom, it's me. I've lost my phone. Can you send me some money? Wouldn't be the exact same, but are there like procedures to limit fraud? Yes, absolutely. We have some procedure at the moment that we register the person that will receive aid. That these are the right people. We have procedure in place to check they actually these people receive the cash. So we do random call right after sending out the cash, just checking, have you received the cash? Is it okay? We have a free uh, hotline number that people can call, can send message to. So we do have a series of, of procedures in place to deal with different type of either mistakes or fraud that might be happening. Under the Somalia Cash Consortium, about how many people would you reach, let's say, in a, a month or a year? Let's say last year, 2023, which was a particular bad year for Somalia. There was a big drought, uh, so there were many issues to address. We reach around uh, 400,000 people. So it's it's sizable. Uh, it matters. Uh, it can make a, make a difference, yeah. Many thanks to Ali for speaking to us. Now, for anyone who's on social media, we all know the comments section can be, to put it mildly, a bit of a snake pit. And concern, like Manny, has its fair share of comments, some very valid and engaged, while others are less so, and often repeat much of the misinformation that's out there on the interwebs. We thought we'd address some of those comments on Pot Worldwide. Clara Hearn and Emma Kelly monitor concerned social accounts and spend a good chunk of their working life dealing with said comments. Most recently, there's been a number of comments on one subject area in particular, as they explain. So Claire, we are on the comms team at Concern Worldwide. More often than not, all the comments are really positive, but a lot of the time we will get a lot of negative comments as well. And they become more and more prevalent and reflective of the conversation that's going around elsewhere. So at the moment, with everything that's in the news, we've been getting a lot of comments about refugees and economic migrants not all of them very positive. For example, this one from John, also just to mention that we've changed all of the names or user handles. Uh, even if you're a bot, we will still respect your privacy. So John has written, the men who started that conflict should be made to pay. Wars are started and suddenly it's the international community's responsibility. 
Yeah, as you say, you know, we get an increasing number of these comments, particularly like as the narrative is kind of growing and playing up in Ireland. The most important thing to remember is that refugees are protected by the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And it states that everyone has the right to seek asylum from persecution in other countries. That's a universal human right. It applies to you, me, anyone, should we ever need it? Hopefully we don't. I think it's also important to remember, like this gentleman is talking about war, conflict. It's not the people who were starting it who were coming here. It's the people who were fleeing it who were coming here. And if you look at the stats, over half of all refugees in need of international protection are coming from just three countries. And you can probably guess Syria, Ukraine and Afghanistan. They're massive protracted conflicts. Obviously, Ukraine is a bit more recent, but it's a huge conflict. The other really important thing to think about here is that the vast majority of people seeking refuge do not cross a border. Or if they do cross a border, they're going straight into their neighboring country, the the nearest one where they can find safe passage to. Again, looking at the stats, I'm going to be the stats woman here. Um, More than half of those displaced by conflict or persecution never cross a border. That means that they're trapped or choose to stay inside their, their country where there is ongoing conflict and they're seeking safety in areas that are a bit less exposed or a bit safer. And often they'll be displaced time and time again within that country, but that's a whole other story. Of those who do cross, make it across the border, 69% of them seek safety in neighboring countries. And when they do go into neighboring countries, for the most part, they're welcomed in, but often the neighboring countries are themselves struggling financially and they need international support in the form of funding. Like recent examples of that, over half a million people fleeing the conflict in Sudan sought safety in Chad last year. And it looks like they could be there for the foreseeable. And Chad itself is a country that is ranked 190 out of 191 in the UN Human Development Index, meaning that it is a country that is affected by conditions of extreme poverty. Another long-term example is Lebanon. They have a population of 5.2 million. It's a country that's the size of Munster, and it's the world's biggest host of refugees per capita. They have a quarter of a million Palestinian refugees there since 1948 and 1.5 million Syrian refugees. I mean, another thing that people seem to perceive a different way, kind of lumping in refugees and migrants into the same category. So uh, we do get a lot of comments about this. An example would be a comment from Jenny Loves Life, 1985. There is a difference with the refugees you depict and economic refugees who wreak havoc in our countries. I'm all in favour of the ones who need our help to come to our shores. We even better help them where they live. Now, that's a bit of a two-pronged comment, but the first part of it. I guess the most important thing to emphasise there is there isn't really any such thing as an economic refugee. There's clear definitions around these terms. And a refugee is defined as a person who flees their home, crosses an international border and cannot return home as they believe their life is in danger. They could be fleeing armed conflict or persecution based on their race, religion, gender, sexuality, nationality or politics. It's a threat of violence. Migrants have more of a choice and often they're looking to kind of improve their life by seeking work, education, better living conditions or reuniting with family. I think it is important to note there with migrants that while they mightn't be fleeing immediate risk to life, oftentimes they are actually forced to migrate for their own survival and we see that with 
climate or just prolonged conditions of extreme poverty where it's no longer possible for them to survive where they're from. And for the second part of Jenny's comment, saying even better help them where they live, that is kind of where our organization and organizations like Concern come in, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we're one small organization, but there's many, many more like us. And we're supporting people in countries all over the world that are affected by the kind of conditions that might drive people from their homes, be they refugees or potential migrants affected by conditions relating to poverty, hunger, lack of livelihood access, lack of access to education. In all of our experience in working with communities who are affected by conditions like this, it cannot be stressed enough. Nobody wants to leave their home unless they have no choice. They don't want to leave their families. They don't want to leave where they've grown up. But it's it's really necessary to support people where they live so that then they're not forced to leave their homes. The funding is being stretched beyond limits. In 2023, the UN's humanitarian fund received just over one third of the 57 billion needed to support people around the globe. We can see for ourselves the number of crises are increasing and the size of them are escalating and that's from conflicts Mm -hmm. to climate to everything else. Martin Griffiths, he's the UN's aid chief, uh, described it as the worst funding shortfall in years and it all happened at a time when the five richest men in the world doubled their wealth while nearly five billion people have become poorer. So you can see where the focus should be shifted, not on the poor people who were coming here where what about all this wealth that is going towards five men when five billion people have become poorer that's i think an important one to note in this conversation and maybe gets lost in the overall picture thanks to claire and emma and are there any questions that you have about concern or work or some of the topics we advocate on you can send your questions via email to podworldwide at concern.net you can send a voice note via whatsapp to an irish number 085-872-0720. If you're under 18, don't forget to CC in your guardian if emailing or message from their phone, once you have their permission, of course. And that's it for this episode of Pod Worldwide. Thank you so much for taking the time and listening to it. Don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed this episode and please give a review on whatever platform you listen to it on. It really helps with growing our audience. We'll be doing it all again next month. Until then, thanks to all our guests for joining us and all the production team.